Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt. When I'm hunting turkeys, it is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Uh, so, so raise your uh, left hand if you've shot a turkey so far this year, and your right hand if you found a morel. Ah, you guys are doing good. But only, only, only Yo Johannes. What they what they call you today? <laughs> only Johannes uh, has a hand up. Two hands up. Yeah, but you, Ruben, you're going morel hunting night. Yep. It's like on right now. Mm-hmm. Starting. It's the, the morel harvest in the vicinity of Vortex World Headquarters is rocking. I'm getting there. And you got like a, you got like a significant chunk of land you're going to look at tonight. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty sizable spot. Have, did you have your left hand up a minute ago? Oh, so this is your, this is your like inaugural trip out. Yeah. No, Ryan, why haven't you? How have you killed turkeys but not found morels? Oh, good question. You don't question. care about mushrooms? No, I'm a freak for morels. Oh, uh, really? <clears throat> yeah. I just haven't had the time. I was in Atlanta last week. Uh, Ryan and I have a good excuse. Yeah. We were out of town. Yeah. We're like a we're, we're like a week back, so. But you've already done all kind of turkey hunting, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I was in Nebraska uh, really early part of April for the archery hunt. And so they have a, Nebraska has a separate turkey archery hunt? They do. Yes. That's late, a good idea. It is. Late March to uh, April 15th, and then it transitions to gun. Dude, that's such a good idea. Yeah, it was fantastic. Because they make you, most states make you like, right? They make you, archers will be offended by this, but they make you handicap yourself, right? And yep. I only enjoy bow hunting when I can't use the other thing. That's why I have a bow. Yeah. Like, 
you know, you bow hunt because it's like, because you can't, right? Yeah. And then I'm out there and I'm like sitting there, man, like, man, if I had my gun, I would have got that thing. Every, but every I can't. one of them. Yeah. I'm trying to remember now, Ryan, from when I lived there, though, because we'd do that early archery hunt. And then at least I'm going off memory, but I think it was actually a separate archery only tag. Yes. So it, it didn't even, tra- like, you it couldn't even get into your tag. Yeah. It so didn't you- eat your tag supply up. No. Yeah. Three birds. You can shoot three birds in the state of Nebraska. But if you didn't fill it, then you couldn't, like, use that tag on the shotgun. Right. It was, like, archery only. Are they still killing all kind of um, turkeys in the fall out in Nebraska? I haven't done the fall hunt. Dude, I kind of like, feel like I don't have an axe to grind here. Like, I, you know, I've shot, I'm trying to think if I've ever killed a turkey in the fall. I shot at one one time. I was trying to hit in the head with a, <laughs> trying to hit in the head yeah. with a 300 like, yeah. hunting mule deer in an area we could kill turkeys in the fall. I can't think if I've ever killed one. But I feel like, like turkey populations are so high, and now they're starting to see them some declines in some areas and everybody's got ideas about this like there's some talk about some kind of uh disease that that strikes domestic turkeys that may have spread in the wild turkey but one of the things people are throwing out there is that that fall hen harvest could be so i feel like in the future you might see um you might see less fall hunting opportunities wonder how many are actually killed in the fall you know we all we all go out and everybody's got a fall turkey tag in your pocket when you're bow hunting deer mm-hmm. but man you never very rare it seems like i know i have i have never killed one in the fall either you know i know a guy uh that i w- went to high school with who gets after him real hard with a because he's got a dog so he likes to hunt okay. like yeah. he like very yeah. much like likes to run do- likes to train turkey dogs and hunt turkeys because he likes working with a dog and they get, they do good. Yeah, yeah, he's, well, he, yeah. Kinda so they like go that out. Going out on purpose. Yeah, because yeah. you can't, now, if you read that, that Colonel Tom Kelly's book, um, The 10th Legion, have you guys ever heard of The 10th Legion? Must read. Yeah, it's like, if you haven't read that book, you got to read it. It's about turkey hunters. It's about a turkey hunter. It's a turkey hunter in Alabama who was hunting back when there weren't any turkeys. It's just kind of like, it, it's the, it's, it's one is hilarious. I mean, he's a very funny writer and it paints a really good picture. Cause this is like an old guy who started out hunting turkeys. When, if you saw a track, it was a successful hunt, like back in those days, you know, and he sort of tracks kind of, you know, everything about turkeys. He's got observations about turkeys that will surprise you and things he's watched turkeys do, including feeding on crayfish that, um, he's just like a, an acute observer of turkeys. What the hell was I talking about him for? Fall turkey hunting, I think. Somehow, or you were, fall you were jumping no. from fall turkey? I was going somewhere else. Dogs, maybe. Dogs. Dogs and turkeys. No. Damn. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? That's unlike you, Steve. <laughs> and none of you guys were listening carefully enough to follow what I was talking about? Am I just talking to the air? I was right on track. <laughs> Tom, Tom Kelly. Tom Kelly. 10th Legion. Yeah, who cares? So... Really? Just that's it. Tom Kelly, Colonel Tom Kelly, the 10th Legion. We were, oh, we were talking about uh, po- turkey populations overall in general being down or lower now or seeing no. some decline. That's, that was the transition. Now, he, I'll to tell you, just to salvage my point, I'll tell you that Tom Kelly did not think highly of people that bushwhacked turkeys. Mm-mm. He felt that like... Or decoy users, though they're only like slightly... 
Yeah, just just, a, above. just just above a bushwhacker. Mm-hmm. But I, the first turkey I ever killed, I bushwhacked. I bushwhacked I, probably I, the first half I dozen turkeys a I couple. killed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my total turkey numbers would be cut at least in half if you if you took away all my bushwhacks. I don't like it so much anymore. I like it more than having no turkey. But if I had to spend one day bushwhacking them or three days calling <laughs> one, I would just, I would spend the three days to call one in. Somewhere yeah, so, that the, so, so the so the old guys that used to shoot them out of the roost tree that's that's like down on the bottom. Tom Kelly the, talks yeah. about that. Oh, he? he talks about <laughs> roost tree shooting. Um, no, but he likes like a good clean calling the turkey in. I'm going back in my memory banks, and I've shot a fair amount of birds. I'm not. I don't think I've bushwhacked a single bird. Oh come on! And come I'm not. On. And I'm not an elitist. I'm not any sort of elitist. Because I, I would definitely I bushwhack see, Well, you can't say something elitist and then say you're not an elitist. Well, I'm not saying I'm against <laughs> it, and I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. You're just not that sneaky. That could be it. You could, you could do like a, like humble bragging, right? You could humble brag it and, and make it seem like you're like, yeah, I'm just not a sneaky guy, so I've had to call in all my turkeys. I'm not trying to humble. I was just no, I'm with you. Was just a, I was looking back on my history of turkey hunting. So where, you, where have you but, killed most of your turkeys? Washington, Nebraska, here. Oh, e- kind of even numbers? Mostly mostly Washington, Nebraska. I've killed like three birds here. So did you learn how to hunt turkeys from someone that knew how to hunt turkeys? Uh, well, when we first got birds, man, like if somebody killed a turkey, like they were like a very like interesting person to know. Like in Washington, when it started, you know, people started yeah. to get into it. So like you'd like talk to some guy and you're like, oh my gosh, you've killed one. Like this, you know tell me you know and and people nobody really had it figured out so people would tell you stuff and then like now i look back i'm like yeah that's just like incorrect information you know and i don't think they were sandbagging you know but there's kind of this mysterious new thing but yeah you decided to get into it for real and like learn how to call yeah yeah i only i learned how to call turkeys just because i knew that sometimes bushwhacking didn't work out (laughs) (laughs) i was like i needed like an ace in the hole for when you were in a bad bushwhack situation right and it wound up being, um, we would bushwhack them out in like the Badlands, right? Mm-hmm. You can see, you know, good visibility. Then we start. Then they started having this. There's this area that's a heavily timbered area, and you can't see a thing there. And um, and they started issuing some number of tags. And it was like at first they would issue 25 tags for this this big valley, and you just weren't going to bushwhack a turkey there because they were in the timber, right? So then we started, like, just getting box calls. But then you're hunting turkeys that had never been called. Right. Because it was just the first couple of years when there weren't even – I drew the tag a couple of years because people didn't even really know about this yet. It hadn't caught on. So then I thought turkey calling was easy. Then later I went to call turkeys in places where turkey knew about calls, and, you know, it was a lot different. Now, Colonel Tom Kelly, who wrote the 10th Legion, thinks that – like, I think that if you called to a turkey, he didn't come. It was because you were messing up. You weren't calling right. Right. He thinks that that's not even kind of it. That it's unpredictable. I could agree with that. Because he's like, I've watched Tom's feeding and watched hens yelping at them, and the Tom won't lift his head up. Right. So it's not that you can't call, because she damn sure can call because she's a turkey, you know? And he's not coming to her. That makes sense. I mean, it, I mean, it does seem like oftentimes, you know, I'm sure you've experienced it too, but like they either want to come or they don't. 
Like yeah. they're just in the mood and they'll come in or they're not in the mood and they're not going to come. And the mood changes all the time. Yeah. Very fickle. Well, that's good to hear. Makes me feel good for being a, a fairly poor turkey caller that I can just flail away on that box call out there. And well, it's not my fault when they don't come in. Right, right. <laughs> it might, yeah, it might be. Uh, Giannis, so you got, you hunted Montana, mm-hmm. Ryan, two states? Yep, uh, Nebraska and Minnesota. So is that, like, is that like a normal thing where you just do all kinds of turkey hunting? I try to. I try to. And then you got, what, like, whose property are you hunting on? Uh, I've got some family property back in Minnesota and then oh. a lot of public land. I hunted all sorts of places in Nebraska now. And Does Nebraska a, have good public land turkeys? Quite a bit. Really? Right along the plat. Get your Onyx maps and open it up, and it's anywhere that's blue. Really? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I think I've... I've it's, well, actually, you go up into, like, the, the northeastern part of the state, too, just south of Yankton, South Dakota, mm-hmm. right over the state line there. There's a lot of good stuff up there, and they're turkeys, man. They're they're all over the place down there. And are they gobbling good when you're hunting that early bow season? Um, So last year, I hunted it uh, on opener, which was, like, March 25th. I'd have to look back at it. And they were gobbling, but they were not ready to be decoyed. They were just, they were not feeling it. They were, they were early, I think, and and they didn't, um, they didn't really know how to react yet. But this year, I was a week, a full week and a half after that, um, so I was into April yet, and it was I decoyed thirteen birds in three days, and they were hot and ready. What constitutes a decoyed bird? Uh, so, like, at what point do you say like I decoyed that bird? Um, when he can touch my decoy. Oh, yeah, or he's in the vicinity. So decoyed. Uh, yes, decoyed. Like with a capital D. Yes. So <laughs> it was. Uh, I had one bird. I didn't have a decoy out, so I guess it was twelve. But I called him in. No decoy. He got to about forty yards and kind of spooked off and paralleled me. Uh, for a little bit, but then everything else was was in the spread, in the flock, if you will. So mm-hmm. they were in, and and uh, I had birds strutting, and I had uh, birds gobbling, and and it, it was it was a good time. I couldn't put it together though, using the stick and string. So it's tough. you mean like not like a you mean like a trad bow? Uh, no, oh. no, not not that not that good yet. Uh, like nope. a bow bow, not some, that kind of struggle. No, regular just bow. Still, just you know, I wonder though. I think about that and. It, it, the traditional bow, I'm not going to say it's like a, a a spot shot, like a point and shoot kind of thing, but there's less going on. You know, I, I don't have to I don't have to set up and draw back and settle into the pocket and all that stuff. I mean, with a traditional bow, he's there. You can sit and you come up and you, you let go right away. And so I'm thinking about going to a traditional bow for turkeys, and I don't know how that's going to go on like plains turkeys, western turkeys, where they might be at a little bit, you know, more distance, but. Uh, it was tough. No blind. Uh, weather was kind of spooky, and, and uh, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you hats off doing it without a blind. Yeah, it that's, was, uh, that was that's tough with stuff. a bow and no blind. With yeah, a bow and no blind. I've, was, I have yet to pull that off. I've tried that several times. Closest bird so, was <laughs> closest bird was seven yards. It was actually four birds at seven yards, and um, and then that one that was at you know outside of forty when he came in, and but yeah, it was tough. I. Bird, is that a personal, like, uh, like an ethical decision to? No, it's total speed. I wanted to be mobile. Oh, gotcha. And and move and and depending on where the birds would come in, I would put myself, you know, behind a different bush or something like that before they showed up or, or try to reposition. No, so it was, it was completely just speed. And, what do you mean an ethical decision? Challenge. Yeah, like, oh. like extra challenge. Like, yeah, like your, yeah, personal you. hunting ethics. If you want to use a blind or not. Yeah. I gave up on that idea with a bow. 
that's some tough stuff. It is. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's a lot it's of movement. Thing, you can sit there and they can come in, but when it's time to draw that yep. bow on them, man, it's that's where the totally rubber hits the but, road. But yeah, right but with there. the with the long bow or recurve though, because a turkey, there's like he registers the threat, right? And then there's a pause, like yeah. while he assesses, like he registers, Correct. assesses, and then and with a shotgun, that's all the time in the world. Absolutely right. With a shotgun, like I don't. You know, people like so painstakingly like bring their shotgun up. I'll kind of like have my shotgun kind of ready. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times when I shoot, I'm just like, I bring it up and shoot. Yeah, it's like calling pull and then, yeah. Yeah, because it's like they're just not that fast. Right. And you can't do like a huge move, but you can get away with a, a fair bit of movement while he kind of goes like, man. I should probably get going. There's like a guy right over there. But like, yeah, to shoot a bow, no. He's going to move. And that that's where the the thought process comes in with the the traditional bow. Is it's going to be a little bit quicker perhaps. But you got to body shoot him and it's that's tough. Yeah. They god, they can suck up arrows. Giannis, he killed one with his bow on accident. <laughs> is how good he is. <laughs> Johannes this I tell them. Tell them yeah. what happened. Well, two things. We used to hunt in the spring. Before I started shotgun hunting turkeys, I thought I was too good to kill them with a shotgun, and so I was trad bow hunting them. But we used to hunt with um, a, a buddy, or I did. I hunted with a buddy, and we would just set up just like we would with elk, and guy in the back would be calling 50 yards back. Yeah. A lot of times we'd have birds come in full strut, and the way we got a lot of shots off is that we just wait for him to turn, and when he's got his fan to you, you got everything you want and they say that a good spot to aim is you know right at the base that tail fan and the uh, texas heart shot yeah Yeah. but uh all my arrows would always go right between their legs (laughs) (laughs) because of because of what reason because you're like yeah just bad shooting oh miss okay um but yeah one fall we were hunting turkeys with our bows in nebraska and uh we were hunting this giant like well a giant rafter I just relearned the other day of turkeys was roosting. Uh, in the moment, that's not even in Tenth Legion. A right. rafter is a collection of birds up in a tree. No, uh, f- what I thought was a flock of turkeys is not. It's a rafter. Learned it on Michigan's hmm. DNR site the other yeah. day. Well, they don't lie. <laughs> they might be mistaken, but I doubt it. But uh, anyways, we had like a couple hundred like birds. Pride, pride of lions, yes. rafter of turkeys. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 200 birds coming in to roost into these cottonwoods. So we would just get in there and wait. And uh, an hour before dark, man, it was just turkeys coming from all directions. Yeah. It was fun. It's a lot of shooting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I had these two jakes at like maybe 20 yards coming in like neck wrestling, you know, like they do. And uh, that might be what Doug's talking about, farm wrestling. Maybe there's <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but but uh, anyways, I take the shot, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, I'll just say, like, right between their two necks, and, you know, hopefully I get one. Well, I, I miss a little bit to the right, and the arrow just kind of sails just behind them, and there's just a Hold little... Back up. You, so what was the plan? I was shooting the base of their neck, because they were so wrapped up together, I, like was like putting I try I aimed at the base of their two necks thinking if I missed left or right at all you get one or the other yeah right? and if I went through path. the middle then well maybe yeah. I just get lucky and have two or cut one whatever anyways missing both clean and the arrow zips by I'm like oh and just as I my <laughs> voice finishes going oh I hear go 
<laughs> I'm like, what? I go running over the hill, and there's a hen running off with my arrow stuck in her. Oh, so then it turned, and it got wild, and you know, I emptied my quiver. She was actually dropping arrows, and I would pick them up and then shoot some more. I mean, it, it wasn't the nicest way to put down a turkey, but I ended up getting her. Earned it. Yeah, and uh, luckily you could shoot hens. Fantastic. Know. That's why I like have never, uh, yeah, I've never felt even the slightest desire to, to bow hunt turkeys. Because you just talk to so many guys who have them run off, get hit by the arrow. I'm going to head loppers. I got a Magnus. Just you're, you're going to hit uh, or miss. Yep. Kill or miss. Yep. I'm going to uh, maybe have one or two expandables in the quiver, but it's going to be three three Magnus bullheads from here on out. Yeah. yeah. That's the third time I've heard that this turkey season. Some guys were just like, man, I'm, I'm just seeing too many walk away. I've talked to guys that have had, like been shotgun hunters, became archery hunters, and after a while just like went back to shotguns and they started dealing with it. Because the distance is the same. Yeah. You still got to get close. Right. right. Hey, man, it's a struggle to find time to manage one's finances. It's a struggle to find time to manage my finances. You go through like a busy week and the last thing you want to do is spend time budgeting, you know, your expenses and tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions you're paying for that you don't use. But now you use Rocket Money and does all of that for me. I'll tell you, this this happens all the time in our family because, like, something will come out that we want to watch, and they lure you in with a one-month trial, and you're like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do the one-month trial, then I'll come back and cancel, then I can watch this whole thing. And then, like, you don't. You forget about it, and then, and then a year goes by, and you've been paying these guys 12 bucks all year and never watched a single thing. This finds that stuff and gets rid of it for you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So... On hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.com health slash meat eater but you got to use the promo code meat eater that's promo code meat eater okay at 
twc.health slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Yeah, it's like you're shooting from way far away. Now, is it fair to say, am I allowed to talk about how how Vortex is starting like a whole new place and you guys are all moving? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 sure. That's it's it's widely known. This place is so much bigger than it used to be. You wait. You yeah. wait till you see the new place. Yeah, the new place will just dwarf what you see here today. But yeah, we've you know, this place has sort of grown piecemeal section by section by warehouse by you know, we've as the company's grown, we've swallowed up other businesses that have moved out. Cause it's all, yeah. you know, it's all rental property here. So, but you know, we've kind of used up about everything that's available here now. So it was, you know, the timing was right. How long have they been building that new place? I think uh, we broke ground last spring. Yep. Cause I was on my way back right. from Nebraska. March, yeah. It was March, um, 2016. Yeah. That sounds about right. But yeah. it, it's been in the works now. The plans have been in the works for a few years. I mean, just kind of looking for a place. It was, you know, deciding what town to move to, what direction. I mean, there's a lot of thought that, mm-hmm. that the owners put into, you know, deciding where we were going to move to, where we were going to call home. And uh, ultimately, you know, we're moving out west of here a little bit, a little town called Barneveld. And uh, I think we're going to be in about double the space that we're in here. Really? The two things that surprised me most today looking around is, one, the the... What's the what's the scope you guys are the manufacturing that we're looking at that starts out with the AMG? The the scope starts out with a with like a three inch diameter aluminum billet. Yep, big chunk of sixty six. And then ninety four percent of that block of aluminum carved away is carved away, leaving a scope tube. Yeah, yeah. There's a razor hidden Dude, in every little yeah. one of those blocks. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't believe. I mean, once you explain it to me, it makes sense. But just is like really surprising that that's it, it is interesting. You to start look with at, like, yeah. and like you know, everything's like aluminum's light. But you pick one of these things up, man. It's just like a really like satisfying feel, like a giant aluminum cylinder. And then it is chisel, well, not chiseling quite right. Yeah, they they take hammers and chisels and, and, and chis- <laughs> we got we got a little caveman, caveman back there. Yeah, and then the other thing is um, 
So a human hair is 100 microns, I think? Yeah, it's between 90 and 100. It depends. And carving that, like those components, there's 80, 70 or 80 pieces inside a scope, right? Right. Right, I forget what it was, 80, 83? Uh, the AMG 624, I think, has 83 uh, moving parts. Individual parts. Individual parts, parts yeah. yep. And that those parts, so a human hair is 100 micron, and that the parts, some of the parts, need to be within, I think, 5 microns? There, there's one part, yeah, there's one part in the zoom cell that has to be within plus or minus 2 so we're yeah you're splitting a human hair anywhere from forty to fifty times. That's amazing, man. The other thing that surprised me is that a dude had a scope that was in a house fire, and it's just like a melted blob and sent it in as a warranty claim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've had, but it was honored. Yeah, oh yeah. House fires, truck fires. I mean, I had a customer in uh, in Texas actually, super good friend of mine, good guy, and he's like, he was out on his ranch and his his truck caught on fire. You know, it it his muffler heated up the grass enough to where it lit, yep. end up burning his whole truck. And he's like, I got parts from like seven optics. Can I send them all to you? <laughs> we we're like, sure. <laughs> wasn't his fault. It wasn't intentional damage. You know, just so that's what it goes by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then people, well... I mean, it could be someone's fault, but as long as it's not intentional. Like, a guy can't say... The limit is of a guy who says, I smashed this because I just wanted to smash it and send it back as a warranty claim. Then you would say no. I think we would, you know, <laughs> ultimately, like, nobody really admits to that. Yeah, I don't know if we've but, quite had that happen yet, Steve. Right. Maybe, but you can, kind of like Jimmy was saying before, you can kind of read, like, it kind of looks like what, this thing been went with a meat tenderizer... And yeah. so, like, you know, but but kind of like, oh, yeah, I dropped it. And it's like, well, make sure you don't drop it again. <laughs> Into a grinder. Oh, when you say meat tenderizer, I missed that earlier because we asked this question earlier during our tour. And I was, I keep thinking, like, how does someone get a scope through, like, that, you know, the machine that has the crank? Oh, yeah, yeah, the tenderizer <laughs> meat. No, like but you guys hammer. are talking about the mallet <laughs> yeah, that has yeah, the yeah. different size yeah. little, yeah, got it. When I go to mallet meat at home with, like, a meat mallet, like my kids get like actually upset. The son of Bob they do not like. <laughs> they do not like that you're like taking a hammer and smacking the dinner. I think the trick is you just need to let them do it. Then, oh no, then, they then think then it was the great then. But if they yeah. come in and you're in there, twap, twap. They get like it's just like visibly upset. There's something about this is very upset. Yeah, it just looks too aggressive at that point. Um, you know the. I got a bunch of questions for you guys. So. How many of you guys' scopes do you include the sunshade on? Mm, quite a few. Yeah, maybe half, maybe half, somewhere in that vicinity. Do any of you guys use the sun, like leave it on? Yeah. Some stuff. It totally depends on what it is. Yeah. yeah, break that down. Like Yanni's dad showed up moose hunting with us, and he had his sunshade on. Mm-hmm. And I remember just take, I just took it off. Came with the scope. He's probably kind of like, you can't. Yeah, well, it came with it, it. Can't leave it at home. Doing good, a example, a good example is the range where a lot of us shoot just north of here, like just, 20 miles. Our range is facing right into the sunset. Okay. So, like, if we don't, if there's a scope that we don't make a sunshade for, if I'm going to shoot it anytime after I get off work, but in the summer between 5 o'clock and 8 o'clock, like, I bring a toilet paper tube and tape it around the end of it because you just can't really? see. Really? Yeah. So, you do hang on to it? Oh, yeah. 
I have quite a little pile of those sunshades somewhere, <laughs> man. <laughs> but yeah, I have been in situations hunting where I was like really wishing I had the mm-hmm. sunshade. And then you got like your buddy holding like a baseball hat, which is oh, yeah. more difficult oh, than you yeah, think. Because you're like, no, 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 out farther up. You know, you, 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 he winds up being like four feet away trying to, to cast a shadow. You know. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of customers will never come into a scenario where they'll use one. But you put them in just the right scenario, and they'll wish they had it. Yeah. So do any of you guys, like, if you're out, like, Paul, like, say you're out hunting doll sheep, for instance. Did you have your sunshade tucked in your pocket? <laughs> no, no sunshade on so that one. So you didn't one. care? No, I didn't bring it on that one. No. Not that, you know, not that it couldn't possibly have. Oh, yeah. You know. But, you're just weighing, like, the hassle of carrying it with the right, likelihood of right. eating it. You know, and you've been there, too, Steve. It's that, that type of deal. Usually you've got. If it, if it is that bad, you got that low sun angle or direct sun angle. You can you can find something to shade it. You yeah. know whether it's a your jacket or someone with you. You can you can cover it, but it, it doesn't happen all that often. You know things have to be just yeah oriented right for it to be an issue. Just horrible but, enough. Yeah. And then uh, moving on to the next one. What is when you when people call and ask you guys like, hey man, do I want a straight spot and scope or an angled spot and scope? What do you tell them? I tell them angled all the time. Ryan's a tall guy like myself. Yeah. If you're if you're tall, you should prefer angled. They just they work better. I I look at it like I do the majority of my spotting seated, right? Yeah. And so and I'm I'm usually looking. I'm not down steep angles. You know, I don't hunt the Brooks Range or anything like that. And so you know, if I'm antelope or muley hunting, and <clears throat> I'm usually seated. And for longer periods of time. So I can like use my bone structure, lean over and just kind of slump into myself and look through my spotting. I know scope. that feeling. Yeah. I know that slumpy right? feeling. Without having to have my head up and craning and, and like poking around trying to look through it. So I definitely prefer angled. Um, you know, and then when I shoot with it, you know, when I'm on the range, I, I go prone with it. It, it. It's You can look through it when it's angled. You know, I look down into it when I'm on my shooting mat. Um, I do tell people though, because a lot of folks will primarily use it from the vehicle. You know, they're not going to rock it out. Yeah, then you can't use angle. Right. Not it's can't, very, but it's difficult. It's, it's, it's very challenging it's anyway. And so I'll tell them that if they are using it from, from like a vehicle position, then straight's the way to go. And, and if they're looking at extreme downward angles, like extreme downward angles, straight's the way yeah. to go. What I found, because I like the angle. I started using the angle because um, the late, great Duncan Gilchrist, who, who wrote the book Hunt High, among many other classics, um, he didn't carry a tripod. He just liked to carry the and put it on his pack, which I don't like to do, but he liked to do it. Set it on his pack or set it on a rolled up jacket or whatever. And um and that way you can lay it down and then kinda like lay down on top of it yeah. and look into it, which would be impossible with that strategy. So then I started using them, but the, the drawback to them is it takes you a lot longer. To find what the hell it is you're looking at, yeah, it can. Until you, unless you get like kind of good at yeah, it, you get, yeah, right. you get. You do it all the time. You get better yeah. at it. Yeah, slowly. You guys used to make a tube that, like, I used to have a tube that sat on the side of that thing, yep. an aiming yeah. tube. Is that what you guys called it? I think that might have been yeah. a technical term, yeah. aiming tube. What happened to those? <laughs> we, we upgraded the razors, so now they're a new body, so you can't. They don't have an aiming no, tube. They don't have an aiming tube. Or you could call sleek. the thing that hangs up on the on your backpack tube. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Uh, the, Vip- the Vipers have a, a section rail. of Picatinny rail yep. that you can mount the little red dot to. A laser. So, oh, is that what that's for? Yeah. yeah. I was looking at that. 
Yeah, the other thing, like the way I always explain it to people is when they're deciding between angled and straight, first off, no tripod is tall enough where if you're using it for extreme up angle, where you're going to get it above your head, right? Mm-hmm. No tripod is tall enough. The other thing is if you have people that are, like if you're using it for observation or hunting and you're standing and you have people that are different heights, like you got one guy that's 5'5 five five and one guy that's six foot and one guy that's 6'5", a straight spotting scope is going to have to be perfectly in line between the person's eye and the, and the target that they're trying to see. So your guy that's taller is going to have to squat down to see it, and he's going to become yeah. he's going to come very shaky and very fatigued after an amount of time. The guy that's shorter, the five foot five guy, he's not even going to be able to use it because he's just not tall enough. So yeah. they're going to have to lower it to him and then refine whatever they're looking at. An angled tripod <laughs> or an angled spotter, you could set at a at the height where the shortest guy can use it, and the other two guys, all they have to do is bend their head, you know, bend their neck down. Yeah. So if you're if you're using one spotter for multiple people, and angled is really the only way to go. Yeah, definitely. What I like, the only thing I like about the straights is I can find something in my knockers, and I'm sure I could do this with the. Is this this isn't even particular to straights? Now that I think about it, I can find something in my knockers, pull them off, put my scope on, and it's dead on. But that's not particular to the straight. You could calibrate. You could calibrate anything that way. Yep. Oh no, no. Here's what I'm trying to say. I yeah, that is something I do. Like I calibrate. Like I'll find something in center in my binoculars, whatever, some object a few hundred yards away. Then I take my spotting scope and put it on the tripod, and fidget with the mounting plate and retighten it so that I know that when I take my binoculars down and put my spotting scope on, they're aiming at the exact same right. spot. Mm-hmm. So the reason, the reason straights work better there is because you're, <laughs> when you're looking through the binos, it's that direct straight that, line. So that's the, what I was going to say. The basic orientation is So you don't need to that, move your, you don't right. need to move your like Height. setup. You don't you know? have to right. fiddle Because if the not, height. you do it and then you got to adjust and get yeah. where you can get that down. Yeah. But I still like the angle. Do you sell more angled or more straight? Surprisingly, I think it's pretty equal. I think it's pretty close split. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember asking that question last year, yeah, just I think because was... you know we're always trying to decide. You know, what do you make more of? And and I believe I was surprised to hear that it's very similar. What's your take on that, Mark? Man, I agree with everything those guys are saying as far as the benefits of both. I mean, they, they both have a home, you know, and it depends on your application. But overall, at least personally, I mean, an angle to me is just way more versatile. I mean, oftentimes you're hunting in a group, you know, and like you said, you know, you spot something, you want to bring your buddy over to look at it, you know, he doesn't have to adjust the tripod where you might lose the subject or, you know, stand on their tippy toes or crouch down unnecessarily. Um, I just think overall it's just more versatile. Mark had made a really good point about the new um, helical focus razors the straight specifically, pointing out his uh, the side bag on his Kafaru pack and how this new spotting scope and this new form factor, I mean, it looks like a pirate you know, yeah. telescope. And it's perfectly straight, so there's no, like, little S shape in there. It fits really nice, so that's one thing. The packability of a straight yes. is, is arguably, you know, better. Um, so, they, you know, something to weigh in and consider. You know, I, overall, I'd still be all about the angle, but... Something to think about. Now, this dude, this there's a dude wondering, I can't even tell what it is, Natappy. He's wondering, what's the best general purpose Western spot and scope? If, 
big if. <laughs> if the qualifier. you only have money to purchase just one. That's a, that's a question we get a lot. I'm um, sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Um, I guess I'll, I'll weigh in on this first. And, and what I'll tell anybody when they're looking at a spotting scope, because they're so unforgiving, is the first priority on your list is optical quality. So if at all possible, move yourself into the razor level. And even at the cost of magnification. So in looking at this, I want an image that's as clear, bright, and sharp as possible with a spotting scope. So I will sacrifice magnification, go down in cost and size and weight, and get something like even the 11 to 33 razor. If you're on a budget, it's a, it's a $700 spotting scope, and it is phenomenal. It, it's a powerhouse, and it's 25 ounces, and it's the size of a soda bottle. Um, so you can, you can play the affordable field there and do that. Uh, a lot of people are uh, hesitant because of the magnification. I think they kind of shy away from it. But really, when I'm hunting, most of the time I'm turning my magnification down anyways. I'm around 40, yeah. you know, because of mirage and, and how unforgiving the image gets. So why carry around a, a huge spotting scope and a tripod to, to tout it and to, to support it when you can get away with 25 ounces and something that we can run on like our Summit SSP? have a package that weighs about two and a half, three pounds total. Um, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that little thing. Uh, overall, I think that probably the 65 millimeter spotters are a little more versatile, maybe well-rounded. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a good middle ground to look at there. If you're going to do, to me, if you're going to do one to do it all, you're like, I want one, you know, and, and there's no one magic bullet or magic right. fix right i mean right. Cert, there's always give and take but if you're gonna get one to do it all where you're like yep i don't mind packing it up the mountain it's not you know or or it fits in my pack nicely and like the 65 is definitely super versatile yeah. and like like ryan said it, it um it's just a just a really nice nice middle ground that's yeah. super versatile and and yeah I, I just don't spend that much time at 60 no, no I, I only use yeah, mine. I use my. I don't generally. I do not use mine to, to find game anyway. Right. Oh. I right. use it to give something like a detailed stink eye. Yep. After I've already found it with my knockers. Oh, now and then I might like might be some little spot, some little dark little pocket that I get real curious about, you know, and I want to take a gander in there. But generally, it's like I've already found it, and I want to look at it real careful to assess like legality. You know, like if you're hunting moose, like does it have four brow tines? Yep. Which yep. two miles away, does it have four brow tines? Is like is a question <laughs> that you could spend hours trying yep. to solve, uh, right? Yeah. Or like is a sheep full curl? That's like a thing you could spend days arguing about whether that thing is full curl or not sure. with your friends. Sure. So it's like when I'm doing that, I'm doing like very detailed stuff. When I'm doing very detailed stuff, I find that you're not cranking the magnification all the way up anyways because, again, like issues like mirage and other things, you wind up kind of playing around the middle ground where you get like your crispest, like you said, your most like forgiving crisp mm -hmm. image. And, um, yeah, every, every, every day is different when you're doing that. You know, how high can you run that scope? It oh, and it changes time throughout day, the day. The sun yep. angle throughout the day, right? The he, minute, like, it, like there's a time in the morning when everything's like you got good light and it's still real cold, and everything is just beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. And then all of a sudden yeah. that sun comes, you start feeling it on your shoulders, and you look yeah. out your spot, it's going, it looks and like you're looking down a desert yeah. highway, and man. All like the, the air whole... <laughs> is all moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, it yeah. Just, then it just goes out the window, man. Can you guys all weigh in on that, though? I'd like to know, is there anybody at the table that 
will actually like glass with their spotter? No. Very, very occasionally. But, you know, I've, I've, I've done it for years and years and years, and, and it, it's just really tough to do that. You know, it's hard to stay behind a spotter for a very long period of time. You're looking through a single barrel. Um, it just you get more eye strain. You're going to get tired. You're going to you're going to you're going to want to rest your eyes more often. So there's no doubt. I mean, you're way more efficient behind a bino than you are a spotter. But there's every now and then. I mean, you you get some situation where just due to geography or whatever it is, you can't get remotely close to an area. And you know, so you I mean, you it's worth it a could happen. Or two with it the could happen that you yeah. might spend a day trying to glass some very distant face primarily using a spot yeah if but it's you, so you far away to, you try to avoid that if you can if it's so far away that you can take in when you're talking that distances where you're actually taking in a considerable chunk of ground through the image it's cool you know because yeah. like, you, like yeah. you can watch a whole basin or something because right, it's right, so far away right then it's helpful. Yeah, it's sort of the, the the picture looks a little more like what you see in in the bino at yeah. that point. Yeah. But eye fatigue's yeah. a big thing, man. It's huge. Yeah. I will get like if if we're if we're up somewhere and just like glassing all day. By the end of the day, I get where um, yeah, I get where I just close my eyes for a while. It's just hard to focus if yeah. you like oh, if yeah, you're actually definitely. spending like eight days on many levels. One, just your posture, right? That you don't realize you know, how much you move until you're sitting there where you can't move your head. It just is taxing. Oh, it is absolutely. It's just like even absolutely. more taxing when you're trying to do it with one eyeball yeah. open, which is not how you're... You can, you, you can always tell in the field when you get out with guys instead of spend a lot of time glassing and looking and you, and you watch how carefully a guy usually will sort of set up his position before he's glassing. I mean, the seat angle and maybe yeah. a place to rest your neck back and, and you, know, you know, a shade and a cover, you, you know, rather than just sort of plopping down and sitting there behind it. And then like you say, you're, you know, no time flat, you've got a sore back and a sore neck and you're, you're stretching, but exactly. if you can really get yourself comfortable... It may, you know, you'll, you'll spend a lot more time. Yeah, when I crawl up into a good spot, man, I'm in there, like, kicking rocks yeah, out, yeah, yeah. moving chunks like of moss just, around. Yeah, getting <laughs> all this, everything laid yeah, out, right? Yeah, just yeah. so, yeah. man. It's like you're making a, like making a little bed up there. Exactly. You know? yeah. uh, Paul, explain, explain for me, this is something that I actually had to call you to ask you about. Uh, Explain like what 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 makes a scope suitable for twenty twos and BB guns and whatnot, air guns and not and like. I'm referring specifically like how how fixed parallax scopes like just explain that whole deal. Well, what what you're mostly there's a couple things going on there. I think what you're mostly talking about is is a scope that's going to be used specifically for stuff like twenty two and air gun. One of the first things you run into is you're 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 just not using it at the same distances that you'd be using a centerfire rifle. So one, one of the things that happens is the, the focus on the scope is set into a, a closer point, usually 50 yards, whereas a rifle scope that's set up for centerfire use, big game hunting, if it's, if it's non-adjustable, it'll be set out to a 100-yard focus point. And then many of those scopes are also going to have a separate adjustable focus a side focus or an AO that, that could but go But when you're talking about far. focus points, you're talking about like the parallax adjustment. Well, focus, focus and parallax tie in together to each other. If, if, a, if a rifle scope is focused perfectly, there will be no parallax. Is that right? Yeah. So it's, you know, those, those two are joined at the hip. Now, when, when, correct me if I'm wrong here. When Paul's talking about parallax, be like, 
if you're looking through a scope and you move your head, it's like picture that you're like staring through a scope. You got one eye looking through a scope and you move your head around in circles. Does, do the crosshairs appear to move on the target? With parallax induced. Yeah, that's what you're trying to avoid. Correct. So when you have a side dial on your scope and you're setting the distance there, right. you're reducing at that distance, you're reducing the chances that your head movement is going to cause yeah, you can, the, the you crosshairs can, to appear to move around the target. Right. Correct. You can eliminate that with that focus. Because so it's you a, could be slightly off, like you could be... You could your head could be slightly left, right, up, down, right. and as long as the crosshairs are on, they're actually on. One right. way I drew this up, I, I tried to explain this to someone one time, or in writing, is like if you're in the passenger seat of a car, and you're looking at the speedometer from the passenger seat, right? You get like a different reading that the needle seems to be covering a different right. number, right? Than it does if the driver's the, looking at from the driver's perspective. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's exactly how we explain it when we're on the phone with the customer and you know you have your eye you have the needle and then you have the actual speedometer and that's the same as your eye the reticle and the image yeah right so the guy the passenger looks over and he's like hey where are we where are we only going 55 and you're like mm, we're going 60 yeah from my angle yeah. we're yep. going 60 yep and exactly so, yep and you know when you have a way to think about that when you have a scope that has an adjustable focus to it a side focus or an AO, effectively to sort of meld those those two images together, when you tune that side focus, what you're doing is you're effectively going back to that speedometer analogy. Your slide the 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 back plate of the speedometer then would slide up until it's overlapping gotcha. the needle. And then if you think if those two are on the exact same plane, then the passenger is going to see exactly the same reading that the driver oh, does. Good work, is Paul. Kind of how that. Yeah. You know. That's, nice. What's That's your job title again, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Paul's been here tw- how many years? 22. Uh, halfway through 22. Yeah. So. That's well, why I, I finally put a parallax on, on my speedometer. <laughs> <laughs> you got sick of arguing about that. You got sick of arguing with your passengers all the time. Damn it. Most of the law, yeah. but yeah, yeah, passengers too. So a, 22, a scope that's rigged up for a 22 will have oftentimes fixed 50-yard focus. Right. Right, and the reason that the reason that all it may not be immediately apparent to to listeners is that any when you're looking at an object through an optic, a rifle scope or a a, a spot or whatever it is, the the distance that that object is away f- from the objective lens, that that affects the internal the the focal distance inside that scope. So that. And the focal distance of that scope is where that small focused image comes down. We just talked about moving that with the with that side focus. So that's that's why when you have a near object or a far object, that focal length inside the scope becomes very very slightly shorter, longer, and it and it and it walks off of that slice, that plane in the scope where the reticle is sitting at. And when you can when you can adjust that side focus, you can effectively, you can overlay, you can always overlay those two on that same plane is why that works. Yeah. Yeah. So do people make like specific, like do people make just lines of scopes that are meant for rimfire, meant for like 22 small game hunting or whatever? There, there are some, you know, that, that, where that focal blank, that focus is set at, that's one of the, 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 
the most common ways a scope would be distinguished for that, just recognizing the fact that it's going to be used at shorter distances. Yeah. There are other things, you know, the sometimes the the adjustment range that might be available on a side focus will come in very close, you know, maybe 10 yards on a scope design oh, for that type of thing. I got you. Um, Where you're probably not generally shooting deer at 10 yards away or if you are you're not worried right. about not, you're not, you're, you're you're not, not worried not, about the fine details you're not there. too worried about it yeah, yeah. On a you're, big not, game you're not worried about whiffing yeah. the shot yeah did you know rocket money can cancel a subscription for you they'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you i can see my subscriptions in one place and if i see something i don't want rocket money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the wellness company picture this okay you wake up you got a scratchy throat you're all congested you got a runny nose you got a cough whatever and you weigh your options like you tough it out get sick take time off work try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks or you open your medical emergency kit you match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away these medical emergency kits not a first aid kit all right it comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues so on hand strong antibiotics for infections of all types Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Dogs, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on Onyx, and I'll look at the topography, and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. 
waypoints also and the ability to share them okay comes in handy every spring whether that's revisiting old waypoints where i've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds this app will help you find more turkeys onyx hunt has a special offer for you too use code MEATEATER to receive 20 percent off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season what do you got Jan? you got questions yeah i got a question well i was looking through the questions and i'd like to this comes back to turkeys a little bit eric uh west asked if we can speak to the advantages disadvantages of using red dot scopes versus low powered scopes versus no scope on turkey shotguns an example follow-up shots with a low power scope impedes target acquisition battery running out on red dots lens flare etc from a gun from a gun standpoint well i think a lot of people take for granted that a shotgun's a shotgun and so they think you know you're gonna you shoot this big pattern out there and hit whatever you want. And so they go down to the the local sporting goods store and they pick up a turkey choke of XYZ manufacturer in the closest box of turkey loads they can get. Um, it has to say extreme on the box. Though. That's right. Yes, it does. <laughs> and, and well, they're extreme. Yeah. yeah. I don't anticipate any troubles. Well, and you don't want it. That's why they make the extreme shells. So, so what what we found. Um, a lot is that a lot of shotguns have a lot of misalignments that you you wouldn't expect to be there. You just don't think intuitively that a shotgun. I would say I would say that there are some misalignments in most shotguns. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. You you're know? surprised when you take a turkey load and shoot it out of a shotgun. Yeah. You're always like, "Holy cow!" Yep, it's hitting it's exactly where hitting I thought, where you it, thought was. it was. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so rarely do we have this ideal. We'll call it a sixty forty split of our pattern, or, or maybe you like a seventy thirty split. Um, of your pattern to, to what you're looking at. So I think the biggest advantage to something like a red dot or a scope, a low-powered variable, is being able to place the pattern, if you will, where you want it. So like I, I before I started hunting with, with a, a red dot or a variable power scope, which I, I hunt with both, um, I missed a turkey really close because the gun shot remarkably lower than my bead. So like my 40 yard pattern was like eight inches below my point of aim. And I missed this turkey at like breathing distance. If I'd had like a spear, I would have had that turkey. And I literally shot under his head. Well, that would be his neck. Well, he was was like side face. Oh, I got I literally (laughs) shot under his head. And I I couldn't believe it. And so then I I said, enough is enough. And maybe, you know, there's some other things I could have done there to make that turkey happen but um so i did i switched to uh, a low powered variable at that point in time and and um you can you know zero your pattern just like you would your rifle scope and yeah right, you know right. if, if you got guys that are, are thinking of, about you know taking a 35 or a 45 yard shot which in reality is a long shot yeah people talk about like crazy shots on turkeys but yep. most tur- if you pace off most turkeys that you shoot you're not you're shooting that far 25 man. yards yeah. i would bet or yep. in yep and and if you're thinking about that, your pattern placement, like it, relative to your, your sighting device, whether it's a bead or a, a red dot or an optic, is, could be remarkably different. So having the red dot and the scope on there helps you kind of pick that spot out. One and other that, thing, too, is that, like, I think, number one, people think that with shotguns, gravity doesn't apply, right? Yeah. You just think that it just goes out and whatever disperses my, my pellets actually leave in a vacuum so. <laughs> right yeah so so a lot of you know that allows you to actually 
you know, adjust for that at, for a longer range shot. The other thing is that, you know, turkey load, a, you know, one and three quarter ounce or two ounce turkey load shoots a lot differently than, you know, a one ounce double A trap load. And so your shotgun might shoot that trap load like perfectly where your bead is. And you go out and you throw out this load that's twice as big with much bigger pellets and it's off to the right and high. So I actually like a low power variable, like a one to four or something like that. It allows me to not see my bead at all. Like I can zoom it up a little bit and then I don't even like, that's not distracting me whatsoever. So I know where it hits. I know where my pattern hits in reference to the reticle rather than, rather than, you know, focusing only on the bead because a bead is really hard to, if you, if your pattern is low and you have a bead, well, how do you know where you're covering up, right? Yeah. Well, I think I'm I think I'm high enough, but in reality, you might be a foot over the bird when you break the shot, and your shot goes completely right. over the top yeah. of it. So that's the that's my first thing. I'm almost almost done here. The second thing is low light. Like you can use obviously you can use fiber optic stuff, but if you have you know either a red dot or a low power variable, it just allows you to place your shot much better in low light, which is a lot of the time where we're shooting birds at. I'm I thought about th- I thought about it. I think about it all the time. I was thinking about it today, in fact. But um, I still, man, I have never shot off anything but like a bead and a, you know, yeah, just a bead. Trusty eight seven. I'll throw. But, I, but I've only ever. I've never. I don't know how. I'm gonna sound like I'm gonna sound like old Boardman over here. Never miss a turkey. I've waited. <laughs> I, ne- I never made that claim. Now <laughs> I haven't missed one, but I do see the limitations of it, and I expect it'll happen at some point. And I should clarify: I did hit one one time that fell over and then got up and flew away. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of like you weren't using that extreme shot. No, I didn't have. But you know what? A thing that I do do, and I feel like it might just be all in my head, is I do like those blends, man. Yeah. But I, I just, just feel like I like them. I don't know if I like them. I don't have like empirical reasons to like the two them. by four. No, the four, five, six. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. I use those blend loads, but I haven't. I'm gonna rig up a shotgun and and start. I would like to use a scope sometimes. I just thought I just shoot off the, you know. I'm, I'm gonna throw out one other quick advantage or potential advantage of a red dot, and not that they're they're not just for kids, but if you're introducing a youth to turkey hunting, yeah. no, yeah. Um, I was just gonna say the same. And thing. You don't want them wounding yeah. up turkeys. Yeah, I mean they're just they're gonna be able to find that dot, put it where it needs to go. I mean, bearing down on a shotgun or learning how to do that, you know, can I think can be difficult at times, and I think it just really simplifies it. They can still yeah. acquire the target easily because it is a one X optic, um, but it's essentially you know essentially parallax free, mm-hmm. and they you know so if they do have maybe not the best head placement. As long as the dot is on that turkey's head or on his waddles, you know the shot's going to go where it needs to go. It becomes yeah. such so second nature to like put the bead on the rib and know what the proper you know sight picture is. I mean, if you've been shooting your whole life, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and like the other day with Helen Shaw, yeah, he had, yeah, he had a couple people miss some turkeys this spring. Yeah, well, what? Yeah, but Helen was just shooting a uh, a target. Just we're just practicing a little bit, and, you know, getting comfortable. I think we had the target at it's either 25 or 30 yards, you know, and uh, sitting down, you know, a nice solid rest. Her first shot, not a pellet on a <laughs> two by two, you know, because box. she's just putting the bead well, and yeah. not worrying about the beads placement relative to the rest of the barrel. 
Sure, and I, but I've even gone as far to explain is like, yeah, the ramp has to not be there. It should be just a line and then the bead sitting on top of it, you know, and even, you know, bury it just slightly, you know, maybe even and, you know, do a six o'clock hold, you know, you can see the whole yeah. target yeah. above the bead still and still shot out completely over it. Then we went back and said, all right, bury that bead even a little bit more, like actually start to lose the bottom third of the bead when you're looking down it. And she smoked it. It was perfect. But I mean... It's just like, but that, then went on to miss a turkey. Helen, not Helen. Well, her, oh, her uh, boyfriend did. But also, I think that's also, that's your point. Also, getting a new hunter to remember that. Yeah. When no, yeah. In the when a gobble moment. sounds like thunder, the ground shaking. Thunder. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. It can be really tough. Yeah, I should. I don't know why I, ha- I don't have. I don't even have a. I don't know why I haven't. See, I haven't because of the what the guy said in the question is about like batteries running out the whole technology yeah but thing. a scope doesn't do that no you're right scope i mean how many i mean i all i ever you know i hunt scope all the time i hunt i put scopes on rifles through far more extreme environments than you would ever encounter hunting turkeys mm-hmm. huh? how long will a battery last on one of these red dots you just leave it on forget about it most have auto offs so that's kind of a handy feature oh. so <clears throat> um you know, the, I think the Spark 2 is the ideal dot for the turkey gunner, if you will. Uh, you can mount it pretty low so you don't have to get a cheek piece on the gun uh, or like an elevated cheek piece. And uh, you should expect three to 500 hours of battery out of it. At, a lot of turkey hunts. Yeah, that's a lot of hunts. Uh, so two MOA dots, just perfect for that. Covers up a gobbler's head just right. Even a strike fire too green, you know, because yeah. a lot of people have have a like a color blindness issue, and so yeah. they'll have to run a green a green red oh, dot. That's interesting. And so like a strike a green fire, red dot. Yeah, a green red dot. Yeah, <laughs> green dot sight. Um, the strike fire two's got the same battery life roughly, and the only downside to that is you have to mount them a little bit higher. But even so, I mean, change the battery once a year. It's it's I think yeah, it becomes and a laziness issue. And they wouldn't point. be any worse than like mounting a regular rifle mm-hmm. scope either. Just sort of a similar yep. height to that. Now there's a couple things to be clarified here because I think there's confusion when people hear red dot. So in many states, if not most, um, you can't hunt with a firearm that projects light like a laser. So they're not yeah. talking about the thing a thing that casts out. Yep. You know what do you call those kind of things? Laser, laser, laser sights. Yeah, okay, yeah. it's not like a thing that casts out and like puts a red dot on the turkey through a laser. It's just like instead of looking into a scope, it's sli- it's slightly different. This, but instead of looking through a scope and seeing like the crosshairs, you're looking through the scope and seeing a red light. You're seeing a reflection of a of an LED, whether it be red or green, that comes off of you know the LED is planted in the bottom of the tube or on the side of the tube. And it points at the objective, which is basically a parabolic lens. So it's set at an angle so that no matter where you move your head up and down, left to right, it kind of goes back to what Mark said about him being parallax free. That dot actually looks like it's following you when you move your head. So it's following, it's tracking up and down, left to right as you move your head. And that's not a laser sight. That's just a little, little LED that's being reflected. Yeah. But there are even some states where you can't use that. Yeah. Yeah. For big game, at least. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they reg. I don't know if they regulated on turkeys. 
I, I don't know about the Midwest, but like no bat. Like you can't have anything. Like anything that takes a battery mm-hmm. on your bow or on your gun for big game is sometimes illegal. So you do got to check into that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or muzzle loading too. That, yeah. That's one of those weird things where yeah, because every yeah, state is different. Because like yeah. states define muzzle loading equipment differently, and mm-hmm. um, and and some you can't use any any kind of anything with any magnification, anything with any kind of electronics on it. Yep. It just depends on how much they're trying to cripple you, cripple efficacy. Out of your muzzleloader. Now, here's a good question. This is going to, have to be our last one. Really? Yep. What? This is a tricky question. What standard of accuracy should first-time hunters achieve before heading out? It's a tough. Rel- and rel- anyone relative know, to where they're shooting and what they're hunting. Yeah. When yeah. I, I've told it a thousand times. When I was a kid, the standard of accuracy was that my old man would take a milk jug full of water and march it across Eugene Groder's yard to the tree line and set that milk jug and set that milk jug on a stump. And then you would take, in, in my case, my lever action 32 special Winchester model 94 with a peep sight. And you would take that. And if you could hit the milk jug, you were, you were to ready go. to rock. I, I and you couldn't tell where you hit the milk jug anyways, because it would blow up when you hit it. Because it's full of water. I think that my old man still adheres to that. And that was like, you were ready to rock. That is minute of jug. (laughs) Minute of jug accuracy. But to Paul's point, consider where we were hunting. We were hunting in like like Michigan brush country. You know, I mean, if you took a long poke, it was because you were taking a long poke across a small field. Would be like a long poke. But most of the deer, um, the first... Quite a number of deer I shot, I shot within 100 yards. You know, it's just like, because that was just the kind of stuff you were hunting. You could shake hands at these deer. So there, it was fine. In other situations, um, it just differs. But I think that, like, uh, here's a good way to put it, for, and everybody has their own definition. I don't think that, that when you're shooting at big game, I don't think there should ever be a sort of like, let me see if I can hit it. I think if you rule out the idea that when you take a shot, you're curious about what will happen when you shoot, like that's a bad shot. Absolutely. I think that's the perfect barometer to like. Yeah, if you're like, holy cow, I hit it, I would say, you just took a shot you should not have taken. <laughs> in this case, it worked out in your favor, but you should have not have registered, you could register excitement pleasure but you should not be registering surprise <laughs> when you hit something right that's out of your range of accuracy if you have like some doubt you know but other than that i think it's like really difficult to define i think i think what you could do is you could you could you could pick whatever game animal is you're hunting and sort of look at you know what a, a typical diameter in a vital zone might be whether it's four inches or six inches and and you know use that as your limitation that at whatever distance you can still keep those in that vital zone that 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 could be a fair estimation of your sort of max range no that's good that's good like how big is like if you're going hunting antelope like how big is that circle pick pick a diameter it's not that big no it's not it's probably smaller than what most people would think it would be so if you're gonna go go hunt antelope and you're thinking that you know oh yeah i'm good at three or four hundred yards okay then you should be able to go to the range and 
with the equipment you're hunting with, not off right. a bench, but with the right. stuff you're carrying and, with you and, in the field. And, and in the typical method that you might be shooting off a pack or sitting or whatever, you know, not not knuckled down hard behind a bench with a salad yeah. sandbags and all that. And then but, you go out and you can put nine out of ten shots into that six-inch circle yeah. at your shooting distance. Then you could pro- you could argue that you did your due diligence. Right. Now, of right. course, you're also, you know, you got issues of getting you're excited and messed up. And all that good stuff, yeah, yeah. Your buddy's yeah. going, shoot, 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 when you're not ready to shoot, which tends to rattle people, myself included. Um, <laughs> and all these things you can't factor. All right. Mark, you got any concluders? Man, I think we covered some good stuff, you know. Um, my usual concluding thought when it comes to optics is they're about the most important thing you can carry in the field. I think that was my same concluding thought last time, and I'm not trying to sell optics, but, no, man, I'm telling you, maker. I heard it. Uh I can't remember how it went now. Some guy's like, if you had $1,000 to spend on a rifle, what would you buy? And the guy's answer was, well, I'd spend 900 on my scope. Yep. <laughs> and I'd take my last 100 bucks to get a rifle or something. <laughs> <laughs> it was something to that effect. You know? <laughs> I've got an additional concluding thought, too. If you were talking about spotting scopes and stuff, if you haven't been tripod glassing with your binoculars, start, start doing it. I, I, yeah. Change your life. Correct. That, I, I was going to do that for my concluding thought. Darn it. Sorry. The fact that you'll start glassing up quail at 500 yards away will convince you that it's the way to go. Yep. You don't realize how much that stuff's moving. Like, and when you're glassing, a lot of what you're seeing is movement, and a lot of movement gets camouflaged by your own movement. Yanni, concluder? Uh, we got the full tour of the Vortex factory today, and I just want to say that uh, I learned that I don't know shit about what it takes to build optics. I know a little bit now, but, like, when you actually see what goes into it and, like, the scientists that are being employed here building these things, you're like, wow, I had no idea. Like, so, so Yeah, cool some of the machining see. dudes are impressive guys, man. Yeah, they start talking, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Now what? Yeah, you mean it? You mean to tell me? <laughs> oh, Ruben. Oh, we covered a lot of great stuff. Check out check out an optic for your turkey gun. I, I mean, as simple as it sounds, I think for a lot of people, it'll really increase your odds of of bagging a bird. I'm trying. But you guys don't make I'm like a thing next year. That, you don't make a thing called like the turkey slayer or something like that. Well, no, we try not, not that to use the term name. slayer in, in many of our optics, <laughs> but working on the I extreme now. Yeah, the extreme version. Um, give one of our guys a call, uh, Ryan, myself, Paul, Scott, you know, Mark, any of us would be happy to chat with you about yeah, it. Yeah, that's my, I'm going to do my concluding thought out of turn. When you call Vortex, there's a bunch of dudes sitting there whose job it is to take calls from people and answer their questions. Like, honest to goodness, people who do all kinds of shooting and hunting to yeah, answer your questions. Of, part of your job, I think a huge part of your job here is being knowledgeable on your, whether it be Western hunting, whether it be com, you know competitive shooting, whether it be hunting the Midwest, you know, part of my job. And it's nice because I get to tell my wife, hey, I got to go to the range today. Yep. But that's, you know, Much stay, I don't want to. staying sharp <laughs> is part of your job. And that's why our crew, I think, is, you know, the, some of the best guys out yeah, there. Pretty tough to beat. Ryan? I think that, <clears throat> in general, Americans like things big, right? We like jacked-up trucks. We like big knobby tires on them. If I could give anybody listening a, a, a piece of advice and conclusion of today is do not put a precedence on the size of your optic. Put a precedence on the quality of the optic. So take 
optical quality over magnification or simplicity over complexity, that kind of thing. Uh, it'll make you a better shooter. It'll help you uh, determine or set that gauge of whether this is a shot you should register as exciting and, and confident or surprise, you know. So go, go big on, on optical quality. Skip the, the magnification, if at all possible. Yeah, optical quantity. Yeah. It's Paul, always. good stuff, good stuff. I think for me, I always talk about turkey hunting and red dots, and it makes me think I, I'm still shooting a bead off of a top really? of a barrel. So I need I need, a guy who's I need got like un, I, unfettered access I to know. like some of the greatest need, optics in the world. I need a I need a red dot on my turkey gun. Yeah, how have so, you done this so far? I don't know. I'm gonna try it, man. Yeah, it's time. All right, buddy. Thanks for tuning in. If you got uh, if you got questions, what, what I would do if you got, if I had a question about any of this stuff, I would just call. What's the phone number here? 800-426-0048. Yeah, and ask these holsters yourself. Um, all right. Thanks again. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.